Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Westminster Parliament has voted recently um, to an amendment of of a Northern Ireland formation bill to bring same-sex marriage and abortion into Northern Ireland, really against the will of of the devolved government, which, of course, hasn't met for a very long time. And that will mean, as far as abortion is concerned, the same-sex marriage is obvious, but as far as abortion is concerned, that all legal restrictions on abortion here in the province will be removed by the 21st of October if the Assembly doesn't convene. And that will mean that Northern Ireland will move from being one of the most life-affirming parts of the world to actually becoming a place with the most liberal abortion regime in the whole of Europe. Now, that is staggering. Abortion will become legal for any reason, uh, up to 28 weeks, as Dave has said, including gender selection, disability, and socioeconomic reasons. Once over 24 weeks, a pregnant woman from England, that's the the limit there, a pregnant woman from England will be able to come here and have an abortion. And women from the Republic of Ireland, where the law has been recently passed, will be able to come to Northern Ireland after 13 weeks, their legal limit, to have an abortion up here. And theoretically, Northern Ireland will become the abortion capital of Europe. There were 563 abortions in England and Wales every day last year. Every day. And it's likely that we will have more. Now, because of that, some of us have felt led to do something about it. And as Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. This is a time for us to do something. And the church has been silent for far too long on these issues. And we want to be gracious and speak the truth in love. But it's now time not just to speak, but to do. It seems so wrong. I said to myself, somebody ought to do something about this. Then I realized that I am somebody. You are somebody. So I want to give you an invitation to a night that some of us have organized called For the Soul of the Nation. It's on the 2nd of September, 8 p.m. in St. Anne's Cathedral. And uh, we are specifically praying about the bill uh, that that has been proposed to be forced upon uh, Northern Ireland. And this night in particular, it's not a a political evening, it's a prayer gathering, and all these organizations, including well-known ones like Evangelical Alliance and 24-7 Prayer with No Well Care, etc., there's 12 uh, quite sizable organizations that are endorsing that night. And we're relying on them, and we're relying on you to get the word around, particularly social media. You can go on our Facebook page for the Soul of the Nation, download the images, and would you please use them? And hopefully the church here will push this in the next couple of weeks to see as many people as possible come together to pray, because we believe that prayer changes things. Yes? We believe that the weapons of our warfare, we thank God for the ability to be in a democracy to use petitions and to speak and lobby our uh, uh, political representatives. But the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we need to use those. And we will answer, I believe, if we don't. 
in this moment in our history. I'm sure you all know that Satan hates the family. Do you know that? God has, uh, has ordained and he is the architect, the engineer of the family unit, but he particularly hates the children. And there's a reason for that, and this might surprise you. The reason why Satan particularly hates the children is because he fears what the emerging generation might do. Now, think about that for a moment. He fears the emerging threat of a fresh group of human beings. In fact, I would go as far to say that Satan actually believes in the power of Almighty God to redeem humanity more than most of the church does. He knows what God is capable to do. And as has already been alluded, and I think all that's gone before has been very spirit-led in keeping with my message tonight that, that he's laid upon my heart. And, and that is many of us, when we hear what's going on in government and in society, we feel terrified. We feel afraid, under threat. It's as if the kingdom of darkness appears to be increasing at a ferocious rate and, and almost is, can't be stopped. But are we actually aware of the real situation? And that is Satan is afraid. In fact, he is insanely intimidated by the mighty power of God and what God can do with the next generation. And we know this from the Bible. Satan's paranoia was exhibited um, through Pharaoh when he was moved to slaughter the Hebrew children. And of course, what was his reason for doing it? Fear. He feared that the people, the Hebrew people would, would grow, and they were growing, and eventually overwhelm his kingdom of darkness. He feared the new generation, so he got them slaughtered. And of course, we know that God had already preempted this with the birth of a deliverer, Moses, um, uh, who was preserved himself from the, the great massacre. And it's interesting to me, if you read Exodus chapter 1, the narrative tells us that it was the Hebrew midwives that actually took their stand. And I believe there's something prophetic in this, and I want, I want to state this. I believe if this law does come into being, I hope it's not, but it will be healthcare and medical professionals that actually will take their stand against it. They're already doing that in the Republic of Ireland. And if you're one of them, I call upon you to take your stand, whatever the cost might be. But this same murderous spirit that was in Pharaoh worked in Herod to slaughter the innocents when he received a report of a rival king who had been born in Bethlehem. You remember the prophecy, Jeremiah 31, quoted in Matthew 2. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, a bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they were no more. However, God's rescue plan for humanity again prevailed. And the Christ child survived to become the Savior of the world through death on a cross at God's appointed time. But it was the same spirit. But I want you to understand the reason behind this was Satan has a fear issue. Satan has. Satan is afraid, very afraid. He fears what he knows God can do. And I would go as far to say, he fears what he knows God is going to do, especially with a new generation. 
because he knows God's power, but he also knows God's promises, and he knows this book. He knows that prophecy predicts that there will be a great harvest right across the world, and a number that no one can number will be gathered into the kingdom of God. That makes him terrified. He is the most fearful person ever. And this is a bit of an aside, but I think it would be helpful, especially for some of you folk who indicated you have fear issues. Satan's modus operandi is to distract him from his own fear. He vomits fear over everybody else. And in order to get you completely terrified in order that he would be distracted from his own fear. And if you, if, if you want to actually see that in Scripture, you, you can find that in Philippians 1, verse 28. I haven't got, got time to go into it tonight. But here's the good news. You see, when you don't fear, and when you understand the true message of what God has said is true, then your fearlessness causes satanic fear to bounce off you and back to him and Philippians 1.28 talks about it actually tolls the bell of doom for Satan when you don't fear. So we need new lenses to see things the way they really are. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 12 for us to read some scriptures together. I want you to turn there if you can. And we're going to read verses 1 through to 6, and then pause for a moment. This is putting the new glasses on, okay? Revelation 12, verse 1. This is a prophetic book. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars, probably representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then, being with child, this woman's pregnant, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her three, uh, their 1,260 days. Now, scholars debate over whether this referenced something in the past, whether it's relevant to the present, and, and whether it's speaking maybe to something that's yet to be. I happen to think that it, it's relevant to all of those spheres. But what I want you to see is this is heaven's perspective. And it is that Satan, out of fear of what a newborn child is going to do, and we know it's Jesus here, he's just waiting on this pregnant woman giving birth to devour the child. That same spirit that we see working through Pharaoh and then Herod. But the Savior of the world is born. And here comes the heavenly perspective. Look at verse 7. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation 
and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. There it is. He's terrified. He's wanting to devour the child. He's wanting to devour the next generation because he's scared of what God is going to do. The NIV translates it. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Satan is intensely threatened and indeed terrified by the knowledge of what God is about to do that is awesome in bringing a mighty harvest of souls in our world. The big question is, if everything is going on as we see around us, and if this is what God's Word actually says, are the facts, how can we as the church actually step into the reality of God's vision, God's kingdom, to see His will done on earth as in heaven as we've been singing? Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 10 for this. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Luke 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70, some versions say 72 others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest, there it is, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. That's interesting because he's encouraging them to pray for laborers in the harvest, but they actually become the answers to their own prayers. Be careful on that one. Then down, please, to verse 9. This is the message he sent them out to preach. Heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So he sends them out. Another gospel tells us that he sent them out to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Now here's what happens in verse 17. Look, they go out with that message and commission. Then the 70 or 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, that could be a reference to what happened in, in Revelation chapter 12 that people think happened way, 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 way back when Satan fell out of, fell out of heaven, being cast out because of rebellion, and a third of the angels was swept away with him but I want you to see the context of this. These disciples have now been commissioned with the authority of the Lord Jesus to go out, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, and cast out demons. And Jesus is saying, I think, at this very moment, whatever happened in the past, and whatever's probably going to still happen in the future, at this moment, I see Satan falling from his high position of authority because of what you're doing. And he talks about authority, verse 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, he, here's how we can make a difference. This is really simple. By preaching the gospel of the kingdom, there are heavenly powers that are ruling and reigning in our society, and they're growing stronger and stronger. 
And sometimes Christians who can be a little bit foolhardy and enthusiastic decide we're going to try and engage these powers directly and try and take them on in some kind of battle. Now, we do have weapons of warfare, but we have to be very careful that we stay within the remit that God gives us. But you know the best way of disempowering and disarming those forces is to see people set free by the power of the gospel of the kingdom. To heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper, to cast out demons, to see people's lives transformed from the bondage of sin and wickedness by the good news of Jesus Christ. But it's not just a message of you can have your sins forgiven if you, in inverted commas, ask Jesus into your heart. It's more than that. It's a message of power. It's a message of victory, a message of triumph. When people get free from sin and bondage, these powers start to lose their influence. And so we've got to go out and preach this gospel. Yeah? A gospel of power and effectiveness. Another thing we need to do is to actually come to people in the opposite spirit that is exhibited in society. That's another way of exhibiting the gospel of the kingdom. So if, 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 if it is hatred, if it is bigotry, whatever it might be, we have to come in the opposite spirit, and that, that disarms the powers that are there. So if we love not only our neighbor, but we love our enemy in Ireland, and that's, boy, that's a whole series on its own, isn't it? We love our enemy in Ireland. Guess what happens? Those strongholds of political sectarianism and legalistic religious spirits, they start to lose their grip. And that's what Satan is terrified of. Because that's what's going to do. That's what's going to bring the kingdom of God here in Ireland. But the second thing we need to do is not only bring the gospel of the kingdom... We need to uh, live a life of repentance. This is a big one. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's not just something that happens when you're born again or converted or make a decision for Jesus, but something that needs to happen every day where we take up the cross and we die to ourselves, we die to sin. It's a life of no compromise. And I know this word up on the screen is kind of outdated in, in many circles, but it's a biblical word, and if we need to redefine it, we do. And it's not about rules and regulations of, of some kind of toward tardy religion. It's about actually having the very life of Jesus living in us so that we can live a holy life, a life of repentance, a life of no compromise. And here's the reason why we need to do this. Listen carefully now. Those powers that be in the heavenly realm are also empowered when we cooperate with their type of sin. You getting this? Let me put it this way. The strongholds in the heavenlies that are bringing abortion, same-sex marriage, and so, all sorts of things into our society as normative. These same spiritual strongholds are emboldened by you and I when we commit sexual immorality, when we commit adultery, when we look at pornography. Did you know that? 
there's a myth and a lie that we just send to ourselves. Uh, you know, obviously some sin does hurt other people, but there are some other sins that we feel, well, I'm just keeping that to myself and it's doing no one any harm. No, 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 that's a lie if ever there was one. You are empowering forces in the heavenlies. And here is the problem in the spiritual dimension. If you could only see this. On the one hand, the church is saying, we object to this. This is wrong. But yet, with the other hand, they are feeding those same empowering spirits by their compromise. Now, please don't misunderstand me tonight. I am not wanting to heap guilt or shame on anyone. Praise God, this gospel of the kingdom is that there's grace. And you can be forgiven. And whatever your stronghold is, you can be set free. And the enemy's the one who wants to accuse you and destroy you and crush you. But we've got to be real here. And the problem is that the church is compromised. We have what I would call an authority-integrity deficit. Take marriage, for instance. And again, I know there's situations, nightmares, divorce situations, and, and all the rest. And I'm, I'm not getting into that minefield. But what I am saying is that the church is the gatekeeper of marriage. Right? Agreed? What have we done to marriage as the church? Could I suggest to you that at times it's no different than it was in Jesus' day, divorce for any cause. And I know it's a huge subject, and I'm not getting into it. But what I am saying is, what have we done as gatekeepers? And we can object to all these aberrant forms of marriage, we might call them. But what have we done? What about sexual purity? I remember when I was growing up, and I know that seems like a century ago to some of you folk, but you know, when I was going around church and in youth groups and so on, there was a lot of talks about keeping yourself pure until marriage. Maybe that still goes on, I don't know. But you know, if we are compromised, this is not about shame, okay? The Lord, I think, does call us to 100% holiness, but if it's not that, if, if we can't get there, and none of us is there, right? 100% holiness. It has to be 100% repentance. Can I tell you that in the Old Testament, there were gods called Baal and Ashtoreth. Have you heard of them? And they were fertility gods. And what that simply means is uh, Baal was the male and Ashtoreth was his female consort. And these were the Canaanite gods. And Israel had the one true and living God, Yahweh, Jehovah, okay? They come into the land and they start to get influenced by the gods of the, the nations around them and the, 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 the indigenous people. And these gods, the idea was they copulated in sexual relationship and from it came the harvest. And so you had to get the gods reproducing, and the way that happened, it's classic all throughout pagan religion, was through ritual prostitution and sexual immorality. And Israel was forever falling off the wagon into this kind of stuff. And in fact, one of the gods that was related to Baal and Ashtoreth was Molech. And both Molech and Baal were worshipped not only in sexual immorality and ritual prostitution, but by feeding the children to the fire. 
sacrificing the children. Now, these powers in the heavenlies haven't changed. They're the same. They might change their name and their PR, but they're the same. And Israel had this problem of compromise. And this was the reason why God drove the Canaanites out of the land. Because of what they did to the children. Now can I say to you tonight, it's not about condemnation, it's not about accusation or shame. But if you find yourself in the bondage of sexual immorality, or you've been affected by abortion, anything like that, please, there's forgiveness, there's grace, there is healing, but there needs to be repentance. Repentance is about turn, change of mind. It cannot be circumvented. You cannot avoid repentance. You can't get around it or bypass it. It has to be done. And listen to me tonight. If you want to see the story of Ireland rewritten, the church has to repent. Judgment must begin at the house of God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And we do need to repent how we've related to the LGBTQ plus community as well. We have not represented ourselves well to them in love as well as truth. No compromise, but we've got to show love. That's the greatest spiritual weapon you know we have, is love. But can I bring this together for a moment because it, it is quite profound. Era. That's the, 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 the Gaelic name for the Republic of Ireland. Era actually is a mythological goddess. And this mythological goddess, I'm not going into the, all the details, I probably couldn't anyway, but the story is that she demanded the blood of her sons. Okay? Irish nationalism and so on is very much wrapped up in, in this kind of Celtic. Uh, mythology. And I'm cutting out a lot of stuff here, but in 1912, there was a signing of an Ulster Covenant by the Unionist Loyalist side of the community here against Home Rule, not going into all the history of it. But I don't believe it was of God. There's actually a monument to it in the center of Portadown. It was only erected as a centenary of, of, of the covenant. There was a re-signing of the covenant um, at the centenary in 2012, it was interesting that the flag protests at the city hall and all that kind of stuff spilled over just after the re-signing of the covenant. If you look your ancestry, and you can actually look up a website online and find out if your ancestors signed the Ulster Covenant, mine did, some of them actually signed it in their blood. A covenant of blood in resistance against government. And that's wrong. In 1916, there was a Sinn Féin covenant, and I'm not getting into politics, I'm just telling you this is what happened after the Easter Rising or during it, that period. There was a Sinn Féin covenant, again, a, a covenant of resistance, a covenant setting yourself at enmity. So we have a mythology that many people look to in our land about a goddess that demands the blood of her sons, and we have these two opposing covenants that many believe have locked our two communities in, 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 in ferocious warfare for living memory. And of course, it goes hundreds of years past that, but so does this. 
Why am I telling you that? Well, it gives you a little bit of insight, maybe what's going on in our land, about the many things that we need to repent of, that we need to renounce, that we need to get free from in our families and our communities. But what I am saying to you is a trumpet call because the same bloodthirsty spirits are craving more blood. And it's interesting to me that we have had relative peace since 1998. Yeah, Good Friday Agreement and all that. Some stuff has gone on, some bloodshed, but nothing in comparison with what had happened. Isn't it, isn't it instructive, at least, that all of a sudden there is a push to make this little corner of Europe the most blood-soaked place. Is that a coincidence? And I believe it's God's demanding an oblation, a sacrifice. And if you know anything about this in the spiritual, you will know that abortion clinics are used by witches and covens to derive spiritual power, and they treat them as sacrifices. This is witchcraft. The good news is, as we read in Revelation chapter 12, we, the church, are not to have these lenses on that everybody else might have, but we can overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, which I think is what the Bible says the blood of the Lamb does for us. We have the victory in Jesus through His blood, through a new covenant, through a covenant that supersedes every other covenant. And this is the answer. This is the answer for Ireland. And this is the gospel of the kingdom that we need to preach. Jerry and Maureen shared a a picture that they, they had a number of months ago. They shared it with me, and it was a picture of a cross. I hope I get this right. But really, on one bar of the cross, the left bar of the cross was Protestantism. And the other bar of the cross was Roman Catholicism. These two monoliths of religious tradition, etc., in Europe and here in Ireland. And some might say, never the twain shall meet. But I suppose the issue that they felt God was saying is that there's not a need for that. In fact, Jesus, the upper part of the cross, the upper bar of the cross, is the way to God. In fact, he's the only way to God. So it's never been about your way or my way. It's about the way, John 14, 6. I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This has always been the gospel. It's not a rediscovery or anything. It's always been. Trouble is we have wrapped it up in a flag or a political persuasion. We have, we have married idolatry with the gospel of Jesus Christ in our land. And we need to repent of that. And we need to get shot of it. And we need to get back to what Jesus wants to do in the gospel of the kingdom. And we talked about it in Tobar as the third way. And I think that's going to be the secret. The third way, the Jesus way, yeah? So what we need to do is look up. What we need to do in all the darkness, sign our petitions, etc., go to the prayer gatherings, but we need to look up and not despair because that's Satan's rightful disposition to despair, to fear, to be intimidated because of our God, because of what he's going to do. Five years ago in April, I'm nearly finished. I was sitting out the back garden on one of those rare days when the sun shine. And 
I had just read an article by, by a guy called Mark Werchter. I don't know whether any of you have heard of him, but he does a lot about hearing the voice of God. And he was talking about Abraham. He was talking about Abraham, how God spoke to him from the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. And he was telling us, teaching us about how God can speak in various ways as well as his word. And it was a lovely day, as I said, and I just lay back in the recliner and I was talking to the Lord and I said to the Lord, Lord, you could even speak to me through the sky if you wanted to. Now, I have to set a bit of context. We've been having incredible meetings in the stables in Enniskillen where we were seeing many people delivered of the power of the enemy through the gospel of the kingdom. To such an extent, we were finishing meeting, one meeting in particular, at a quarter to ten in the evening, and we were still praying with folk and seeing deliverances to half five in the morning. Incredible. It wasn't like that always, but it was into the wee small hours most of the time at that particular period. So I was feeling this desire to see God move right across the spectrum of the community, by the way, were the, the, the people in those meetings. Um, just a hunger for revival. And I said to the Lord, you could speak to me through the sky. And that's all I was thinking about. And I would lay back, and you know the way the sun's in your face, just enjoying it. And all of a sudden, it got rather cool for a moment or two. And you're sort of waiting, and the sun coming back, and didn't come back, and didn't come back, and didn't come back. And I started to get a little bit frustrated, and then I opened my eyes. When I opened my eyes, I saw a huge cloud of iron. That's my neighbor's garage, this huge cloud of iron. And the sun was right behind, as you see up sort of kind of north. But as the cloud moved, that, it was like a fire. The, the photograph doesn't do it justice, but it was like a fire that just moved the whole way down the island. The whole book of Revelation is about people who were persecuted and darkness going through all sorts of difficulties. But the message of Revelation is look up. And this is what we need to do tonight. This is what we need to do every day is pray and declare believing that the victory belongs to Jesus. Let's not give in. Let's not capitulate. Let's not give up. Let's not keep silent. But let's overcome. It would be a good one to finish with. We shall overcome. In the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Let's just take a moment. Sorry if I've gone over my time. Let me just take a moment. And can we bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment? Is there anybody here and you have never believed this gospel? You've never become a Christian. And I don't care whether you're Catholic, Protestant, Hindu, or other, or whatever. doesn't matter. But you realize there's truth in the message that I've preached tonight. Whilst it's not been directly... Uh, to, to see people one for Jesus, there's enough in it to get you into the kingdom of God. Is there anybody here and you would like to say, I want to come to Jesus tonight? Would you raise your hand just where you're sitting? Just where you're sitting. Would you raise your hand just where you're sitting? Is there anyone? Now, you don't have to raise your hand to become a Christian, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you've been sitting in the fence for long enough, maybe you're concerned about everything that's going on in society, but you're not on the right side yet. And I'm not talking about divisions that we know about, but you're not in the kingdom of God yet. Would you raise your hand just where you are? Is there anybody tonight, and you've been trying to have one foot in God's kingdom and the other foot in the kingdom of darkness, and something I've said tonight has brought, well, the Holy Spirit has brought conviction to you. Not condemnation, but you know things aren't right and you need to sort them out. Would you, be, would you be willing to stand tonight to say, enough is enough. I'm drawing a line tonight and whatever you need to help in, you get the help in. Would you stand to your feet tonight?
for Jesus who hung on a cross for you naked and ashamed. Would you stand to your feet and say, tonight I'm going to follow him whatever it costs. I'm going to get my stuff sorted. I'm going to allow him to heal me, to transform me, to come into my life. Would you stand where you are? God bless you. Not making it easy. God bless you, man. Anybody else? Praise God. Anybody else? Come on now. This is warfare. This is, this is not a... I know we're going on a picnic in a few weeks, and I'm looking forward to it, but this is battle. We are in a war here, and Jesus has won, but we have to take ground in his name from that victory. Anybody else? Now, I'm going to pray for you, particularly these, these two. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for their courage. I pray that you'll make them a Caleb, make them a Joshua. And I pray now in Jesus' name that the things that entangle them will fall off. I pray that the bondage that they're in will be broken through the blood of Christ, that the lies they've believed, the compromise that they've entered, will now in Jesus' name be gone, and you'll fill them and baptize them with the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and do exploits for you in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray for us all, Lord. Let none of us be hiding anymore. It's time for action. It's time to take our stand. It's time to pray. And it's time to be done with compromise. So, Lord, we thank you for Ireland. We thank you for the heritage that it has. We thank you for what's written in your book as the will of God for Ireland. And we repent of how we've got far away from it. But, Lord, we believe that something's in the pipeline. And we believe the devil knows it. And we believe he's scared witless. And we believe, Lord, that we don't have to fear but we stand with you in the authority that you've given us and we look to you to say greater things are yet to come for this nation, for this land. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.